Father, we worship you and praise you. Lord, we love you. Desperately, desperately love you. And Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice as we just finished communion. We remember what you did on the cross. And Jesus, we weren't there. We didn't see with our eyes or hear with our ears. But we believe with something so much more powerful. And that is our faith. We believe. We trust. We remember. We remember who you are. What you did by choice. In coming to this world. Offering yourself. Being obedient to your Father's will. And thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Because of your perfection as God, you could not be held by death. But instead, what Satan intended for evil, God worked to good. Because you could not be held, you conquered. And in that moment, death was conquered for those who would believe and receive. Oh, we love you. Fill my mouth with your words, not my own. We ask for your will to be done here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. It was really cool, Shannon, to see you up here playing an electric guitar. I just want to say that. That's kind of like an example of the difference of power and no power, right? (laughs) Really? She was doing it before? Okay, I'm a little slow. (laughs) Oh, Oh, wow. Wow, she did that, and I still have the microphone. (laughs) No, that's okay. This past week... Uh, Michael and I were down in Atlanta for uh, the Faith and Freedom Coalition um, conference. And uh, I think I shared with you last week that, that I was going and wasn't sure why. Right? You ever, you ever have something happen where something comes up and the Lord just tells you, do this or step in this, go this way. You have no clue why. Well, that, that was the situation. And I've... I've been in that situation many times, and that was the situation with this conference. I had never been to it before. I had never, I don't know that I had ever actually even heard of it before. I knew the founder, Harry Reid. I had heard him before, although even though I follow politics and everything else, I I can't say that I knew what he did, (laughs) if that makes sense. So, So the Lord telling me, be there and don't go alone, those were two things he said. It, it was a real, you know, blank page for me as to why. And the Lord, as you guys know from, from last week, obviously, that, that the Lord had directed Michael to go with me. And we went down there not knowing what the Lord had. And, and even, even going through, I want to say that first day or that, that first afternoon into evening, 
still didn't really know until later in the day. And it became so clear so fast as to why we were down there, or at least the first reason. Because the Lord introduced us to a couple of people down there, and these weren't, you know, influential, connected people. They were people just like us. Just like us, who were passionately in love with the Lord and felt like they were alone. And, and yet, he introduced us to them, and them to us, I think, to encourage. And, and certainly, he has, he has reason for later. But it was clear that it was a step in bringing the bride together. It's kind of cool. I'll tell you the other reason why we were there, and this is what I wanted to mention to you, because perhaps you have no idea, just like I had no idea. right? We, uh, uh, for those of you who are really up on politics and involved with politics, uh, like my wife and I are, we, we listen to people all the time. We listen to politicians all the time, and, and you can hear them pontificate, right? All sorts of things that may sound good to your ears, but until you could really sit down and listen to them in an intimate setting, you don't get a real feel for who they are. Well, going to this, I... I I expected it to be a political um, assembly, you know, and, and, and I suppose it was. But I've got to tell you, that's not what it felt like. What it felt like was revival. And it blew me away. It really blew me away. You could go on there and look up all the different speakers, because I, I know I would not even begin to remember all their names. There were many senators, many congressmen that spoke, the vice president spoke. That was kind of cool, although we had to like literally walk in with nothing, get rid of all our water and everything else, right, because of the security. But, but the people that spoke had the time to speak from their heart. And what blew me away was certain individuals in places of national leadership that I, I knew they were conservative, you know, I, 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 and I was very familiar with them, even though I, I won't necessarily remember all their names. But, but see them all the time on Fox or whatever. The thing that blew me away was they didn't come there to talk about politics. They talked about their relationship with Jesus Christ. They talked about that he is the only answer to what is going on in this nation. Exactly what we have been saying, and, and it, it was wild because, I mean, there were a couple, um, Doug Collins, I, 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 some of you may know him, he, he is, um, uh, he's congressman, I believe, not Senate, but congressman, um, and he is from Georgia. But he was, if, if you guys remember the, the uh, whole impeachment proceeding stuff, and there was you know, uh, Nadler, he was the head Democrat, whatever. And then there was a head opposing side. That was Doug Collins. He was the one who did all the talking for them and everything else. And, and what I didn't realize is this guy used to be a preacher. And when he got up and spoke, he didn't speak about politics. He preached. That's exactly what he did. 
He brought a marriage between the two that is supposed to be there. That we are governed by our God. We are not governed simply by our own efforts in this country. And it was inspiring. It was, it was, it was just awesome. And there, there was this other guy who was a senator. And I could picture his face. For some reason, I don't know why I cannot remember his name. Um, but his story was, was extraordinary to me. He was a youth pastor. He, he and his wife did youth work, but not on a small scale. Okay, he ran a Christian youth camp that would bring in 51,000 kids every year, every summer. And that was his ministry. And he loved it. He loved it. He didn't want to change. And he said, then God up one day told him, no, you're going to run for Senate. And he said, he said, I got to tell you, he said, I just argued with him. He said, but Lord, I'm having, having so much fun. I am here. This is where I, I have so much passion for this. How, how, can, how can you move me from this? I, I'm, I'm where I need to be. I just feel it. And he said he, he argued with him for a few months. Until God got him to understand and to realize that passion, which was good and is good, needs to be in a different venue. And it was extraordinary to hear his passion for Jesus Christ. There, there was another guy, and again, forgive me, names just escape me, but, but there was this guy there, probably the most energetic person I've ever seen in my life. And, but he, he was, a year ago, I remember seeing him on Hannity all the time, but not in agreement with Hannity. If you know anything about Hannity on Fox News, he's very conservative, right? But this guy was in opposition. He was a, he was a Democratic lawyer, and he was a civil rights attorney. But he was very much, you know, pro-Clinton, pro-Democrat, pro-everything else. And about a year ago, he had an extraordinary, <clears throat> excuse me, extraordinary turnaround in his life. Now, he only had 10 minutes, so he didn't get into a lot of what that was. But he talked about Jesus Christ. He talked about a relationship. And he talked about how the Lord changed his perspective. And my goodness, now you see him on Hannity still all the time. He was on Laura Ingram last night. And he is the most fired up person because he has seen both sides. There were so many others. Vice President Pence, it wasn't a political speech, guys. It wasn't a political speech. It was about his relationship with the Lord. It was about how that is to permeate what we do in this country. Who we are with the Lord is to permeate who we are in position in this country. Or in position wherever the Lord places us. The Lord is to 
be the one that affects everything that we do. Everything. So I'm listening to all these people. Marsha Blackburn. I'll tell you one of the ones that was the most impactful to me was um, Mark Meadows. He's the president's chief of staff. And he spoke, and I think the only thing he said about politics was that he gets no sleep because Donald Trump keeps him up. (laughs) Everything else was about his relationship with Jesus Christ and how Jesus is the real answer. Now you have to understand, all these people have been placed in proximity to Donald Trump. Sticking to me. All these people have been placed in proximity to Donald Trump. All these people have been put strategically in the place to have an effect. And I'll tell you what I walked away with the most from that conference. Is that God has already put people in positions that they need to be. Not that he won't put more. He's going to put more. He's going to place a lot more. But I, I guess my, my thinking was, oh God, get, get this going so we can have effect, so people can, can start being placed where they need to be started to be placed. These passionate people for you. And what I walked away from there realizing is, he has already placed many of these people. So when the Lord says a suddenly comes, first of all, we know what suddenlies mean, right? What's an overnight success? Someone who worked for years and never got noticed. That's an overnight success. It didn't mean that they woke up one day and the next day they were successful because, boom, it just happened to them. No such thing. There's no such thing with God either. There's no such thing with God that all of a sudden one day you will wake up and you have intimate relationship with Him. And that closeness where there are no barriers between you, you hear His voice clearly when just the day before you would not. No such thing. God did not make the world that way. He certainly didn't make relationships that way. It's a process. It's a process that begins with recognizing who he is, what he did on the cross. You know what? Let's go to John chapter 1. I didn't know if I'd go here, but I was reading this this morning. I want to recognize, oh, just what it means for God to send his only son and for his son to make that choice. John chapter 1 verse 1 begins and says this. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. By the way, who is the word? It's Jesus. We'll know that here in a second, right? All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
See what happened. You know, let's keep reading. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about this light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This word, this word that was God and with God was coming into the world. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And then this beautiful verse, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And I'm going to end with verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. By the way, do you know the power of that verse? Do you understand the very power of the verse? Just explaining and saying that Jesus Christ being the son of God, being God himself, came in the flesh. Came in the flesh. See, the power of that statement, it says in 1 John, is such that the demons or those who would follow Satan will not say that. They can't. Even though it's the truth. They can't. It, admit, it admits defeat for them. They cannot speak anything but truth of the truth. So the power is that Jesus Christ being God said in John 1, 1, the Word who was with God and was God. That Word became flesh. Why? So we could have relationship. So through Him and through that sacrifice on the cross, burial, resurrection from the dead, sitting at the right hand of the Father, we have a right to become the sons of God. There is so much more in that statement than you might think. Because, see, I grew up for 40-some years believing that I accepted Him into my heart as my Savior, which I did at age 9. And so that means I have everything. I have everything I need. No. I have the right to everything. What I had, what I had stamped as a guarantee on my heart was Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. I had his stamp on my heart from that moment of nine years old saying that this young man is sealed by my spirit, sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit until he receives what is guaranteed of me, which is eternal life. That's what I had at nine years old. 
But then I had something else because I believed in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. I believed in Him, asked Him into my heart to be my Savior, my Messiah. I received Him. I received His salvation. But then it gave me something else, which I didn't even realize. Not till years and years later. It gave me the right, the right, not just an open door and, hey, submit, submit a plan and we'll see if you're accepted. Gave me the right, I held the cards to this, to have relationship with him. It was up to me. It wasn't up to him. He already did everything on the cross to purchase my right. Does that make sense? So when he purchased my right, he just waited. Worked in my life. Brought me around issues knowing my heart. Took me through issues <laughs> knowing my heart. Even those issues that I said, no, I, God, I got this. And I stepped into him myself, knowing full well that he always had this platter offered before me with this giant word written relationship. Here, this is for you, but you have to come and get it. You have to come and build it with me. He didn't say you build it on your own and then you can be with me. No, we build it together. And it, it isn't an overnight success. <laughs> it isn't an overnight thing. See, because the world at some point will see this church, recognize this, will see this church as an overnight success. That's how the world will see it. The world will see positionally that God places many of us into as an overnight success. But don't believe it for a second. No such thing. That has come with years of partnering with Jesus Christ in relationship with Him. Learning the boundaries of relationship. You know, for those of you who are parents, what, what's the, one of the most important things you could teach your kids? It's boundaries. Right? Here's a boundary. Stove's hot. Don't touch. Right? You teach boundaries of what they're not to do so they understand how to stay within the safety of that family. That's what Jesus Christ does in teaching us relationship. He begins to show boundaries that He doesn't place on us because of some tyrannical thought process or, or that he just enjoys it. No, he places these things on us because he knows the joy of our lives is relationship or will be relationship with him. So here are the boundaries to receive that. The boundaries can be many things and they can be different for individuals as well. And, that, and that's not the point of this. The point is, 
You have to pursue relationship. You do. He works with you, but you have to pursue it. The other choice was simple. And it's why I chose it for so many years. Because I got to control it. The other choice is simply to learn everything you can about his principles. Allow it to invade your intellect, but never your heart. Well, we're at a time in history where that just doesn't work anymore. And it's not going to work anymore. See, because he came in the flesh to show us a pathway that we could follow. It said to be like Jesus. It wasn't about being like God. Because Jesus came and he operated as a man to show us how to build relationship with the Father that it can be done. And not only that, he wants it to be done. So now we're going to get into where I thought the Lord would take us this morning. I want you to turn to Nehemiah. And there is so much in the minor prophets. But if all you're looking for is principles, you're going to miss every bit of it. And, and, you know, we've had so much ridicule of spending time in the Old Testament, spending time with the major and minor prophets, for that matter. But see, if you're only there to glean principle, don't waste your time. And just focus on the life of Jesus and the Gospels. Because maybe if you focus there, you'll get the fact that there's so much more. But in Nehemiah, right, this was during a time of slavery. This was during a time, this was after, during the time of Babylonian captivity. And, and by this time, um, you know, the, the temple had already been started to be built or whatever. Um, because by Nehemiah's time, it was King Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes, right? I should know that because of the movie 300. Come on. But he was there, and and in fact, Nehemiah was his cupbearer. And what had not been built, what was in ruins was Jerusalem, was the wall. And he was in such anguish over that. It didn't mean that there weren't people there, right? There were people living there. There were some of the exiles that had stayed there when, when they were taken over, right? When they were taken over, all of the, or most of the Jews were moved in the conquest to Babylon, but there were some that were exiled and stayed there to manage the fields. So there were people living there. 
And I want to pick this up in chapter 1. Let's start with verse 3, because Nehemiah had had uh, uh, sent somebody to go look, and, and, and he came back and, and gave a report. And let's start at verse 3. And they said to me, the remnant there, talking about in Jerusalem, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now let's look at Nehemiah's response to this. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open. What was Nehemiah saying here? God, I come before you and I ask that you listen. See, that's an extraordinary statement when we know that God knows everything, right? How many Christians fail to go before God and plead with Him to listen, plead with Him to work in their life because they simply say, well, He already knows. And if He wants to do something about it, He will. I assume other people are like that because that's how I used to be. But see, what, what that takes out of the equation is the thought process of relationship. See, Nehemiah went to him because Nehemiah had a relationship with him. It's kind of like, well, I know this person knows about this thing, but, but I have a relationship. I have an in with this person. Let me talk to this person because they must not be seeing like I see. They must not know exactly what I see. So because I have this in with them, let me go and talk to them and plead with them. See, that happens all the time on the earth. That's what was happening with Nehemiah. He had a relationship with the Lord. And he said, let me come before you and please see and hear what is going on. Hear the prayer of your servant that I may now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. And see, Nehemiah understood what relationship with the Lord was because before God would hear, there had to be walls broken down within that relationship. He said, I come before you confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, Father. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Now, I want to point something out here. For those who see the word of God intellectually and say, well, automatically we can write this off because we are no longer under the law. 
got bad news for you. The law was not abolished. The law was completed. And I'm not going to go down this road, but understand that the Father was the same then, today, as He is tomorrow. See, the purity of His law is the Father. That's why it includes justice. That's why you see judgments in the Word of God. Why? Because He's evil? <laughs> no. It's because He's pure. Because He's holy. Because in His desire to be with, in relationship with men and women, there had to be a settling of that purity, a settling of that law. That can only happen through Forgiveness. That can only have, that's why Jesus completed it. Because he was perfect in the law. And then gave himself as the spotted lamb. His blood being more valuable than any lamb that ever existed. Because it covered the sin of everyone who would accept him. So Nehemiah came to this place and said, Father, we have sinned. We recognize the sin. Not just that we recognize the judgment, because they were in judgment. Justice had come because they didn't turn to God. They were taken over by the Babylonians. And they were in that captivity, that judgment. Bringing God's justice. So Nehemiah said, forgive us. And isn't God awesome? Because guess what happens when you ask forgiveness and it comes from your heart? You're forgiven. You want to talk about an overnight success? You want to talk about an instantaneous suddenly? How about forgiveness? That's perhaps the only one that exists. Because when we ask forgiveness, God doesn't say, okay, let me put you on the path to forgiveness then. And, and maybe after 10 or 15 or 20 steps, then you'll be forgiven. So let, let's work on that. No, he doesn't do that. See, because as his children, when we ask forgiveness, we receive forgiveness immediately. Bless you. But it doesn't mean that he doesn't look at our heart. God knows why you ask forgiveness. God knows when you come before him. If it is because you love Him. Because you want to build relationship with Him. See, that forgiveness is immediate. But the process of the rebuilding takes time. He gives us opportunities to prove it out. To prove out what we just asked. To prove out our love. And he said, okay. He said, you're forgiven. Now, 
Let me give you an opportunity to prove it out. To walk it out. Why? Because it's better on the other side. That relationship with him, it's better on the other side. So Nehemiah knew this. And going to him, he said, forgive us. Then he reminded the Lord of something. He said in verse 8, Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. And I'm sure at that moment it flooded his mind, these visions of the people being scattered out of the land, in captivity of Babylon. Then verse 9, And this was his cry, but, and this was what he reminded the Lord, what the Lord told Moses. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. He was reminding God that God promised. God promised that even if they were scattered all over the world, that if they were to turn back to Him, that He will gather them together. Not that He will just work in individual lives all over the world and, okay, well, they're already scattered, so, so let, me, let me just do a work here and I'll do a work here and, and it'll, we'll make it better. It's not what God promised. See, God promised that He will bring them together. He'll bring them together. This remnant. Does that sound like something current day? Does to me. Does to me. And it's what the Lord told me when He took me to Nehemiah. Because... See, there is a remnant all over the world that has built and is building relationship with Jesus Christ. And we have been praying for a few years now. I can't, I can't speak for anybody else, but I can speak for Ignition. We have been praying consistently, every single day, as a group, as a corporate body. For the Lord to draw His remnant together. Asking forgiveness for what we have done. What we have taken charge of that we had no business taking charge of. And in those prayers, waiting, waiting, waiting for it to happen. Well, guess what? It's happening. That's what I saw. That's what I saw down in Atlanta. That's what I saw in meeting. One of the guys that we met, it was extraordinary. He's an author, and, and, and I'm just talking to him. And, and, and it was like even using the same words. You know, you know how, how Christianese develops these words? Well, I, every group develops that, and, and we've kind of developed some of our own only to realize that it wasn't us that developed it at all. It was God, because this person is saying the same words. 
I love it. I love it. Do you know, and, and this isn't kind of on topic, but it was while we were talking, me and this guy, we stayed up late, and it, whatever, we just talked, we could talk forever. And we were talking about Washington, D.C., because he was in Washington, D.C. the previous Saturday like we were. And we were talking about that, and, and he, he was just saying, yeah, and I don't know what it is with the Washington Monument, but something's really bad there. See, yeah, you're right. It is. Right? That was the seat of authority for the principality that was over this country. And I was explaining to him that that principality did not have power there anymore. And as of last Saturday, there was nothing on that monument. Because it couldn't be. And, and, and when that was the case, the Lord showed, showed me the brittleness of what it's made of. I just saw cracks. I saw brittle. And I, I think it's, isn't it granite? I think it's made of granite. But I saw brittleness in this thing. And, and, and we were talking about that. And, and, and I, I said, well, I said, don't worry. Because he was talking about all this symbolism in D.C. and and about the Masons, and I, I won't get into it, but I mean, literally all the same things that we were saying. And he said, he said, I just, I just wish it would come down. <laughs> he, he said, he said, I have been praying that it just comes down. Amen. And I, said, I just want to hug you. I said, it is going to come down. That monument is going to come down because of the symbolism of what it is. By the way, it's not Washington's monument. That's not what it symbolizes. You know, he's not even buried there. It wasn't even made for him. Right? He's over. You want to go see his grave? Go to Mount Vernon. That's where he is. God is bringing the remnant together. He is doing that, and he will continue to do that, but it will accelerate. It is about to accelerate you, like you cannot imagine. God has promised us a voice. He has said that nothing will stop that voice. That is not just our voice. It's the voice of his remnant. Because when they cry out for forgiveness, and they cry out for the very thing that he desires us to have, which is unity, do you not think he's going to do it? Right? If you cry out asking forgiveness to the Lord and unify me with your bride, unify us. We want to be unified in you, in relationship with you. What do you think he's going to say? Eh, no. I'll just kind of unify you with me individually. If that were the case, then the top two commandments that he said, that Jesus said, only one of them would be important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. 
But no, it's not what he said. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he clarified what that meant in John 15, saying, love your neighbor as I love you. And then he foreshadowed what that love meant. He said, real love is a friendship where the one is willing to give their life for the other. Not knowing that none of the disciples knew at that time, or, or I'm sure maybe they had heard but didn't believe, that he was about to do that very thing. So he said, love the Lord your God and be unified together in the same way that you are unified with your Father. So when we ask for that, we do not need to say, if it is your will, unify your bride. Why? Because it's his will. He has stated it's his will. Sometimes I think we belabor our prayers because we ask for things we already know are God's will. I remember when the Lord told us, close the business, get rid of your equipment. At the very beginning. And we did that and and months later, after living off the money from the equipment, we were out of money. And you've heard this story. Where then the Lord, the Lord provided in that. But it was the fact that he had to bring us to a place of trusting him. Trusting him not only in the provision but trusting Him in the direction that we were to walk. We were to trust Him in everything. Because if we didn't, we couldn't be united with those who He intended us to unite with. Why? Because we're in control. Do you get it? It really boils down to this fight over control. That's what it is between the difference of intellectualism versus Relationship. It's the fight of control. In that, I remember it came to a point where we had no money. We were behind on our mortgage. We needed so much before our, our uh, power was turned off. And I remember Alexis coming to me and saying, can we, can we just pray, pray as a family about this? Can we just pray about this? And I remember at the time, I, it's so distinctly in the feeling I had, and I'm not sure it was all pure. But I said, no, we cannot. I will not pray about this. Why? Why won't you pray about Why can't we pray about this? Because God already said, and I expect it. Do you know it's okay to expect God to do what God said he's going to do? In fact, it's not only okay, but it's necessary. Because that's faith. How else do you think Daniel walked into the lion's den? Well, I hope. hope they're not hungry. You know, Lord, let me, let me remind you, God, that you placed me in this position and I have so much more to do. Let me just remind you. Just in case. No. And it was the same with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where they said, whatever his will is, 
We walk in it because we know what he has said and we know what he can do. Well, today I am here to tell you that that is where we are. We are walking into the lion's den of this battlefield here in the U.S., but all over the globe. We are walking into this, but we don't have to walk in with trepidation. We don't have to walk in wondering what's going to happen. See, he's promised his bride to be unified. (laughs) In fact, before he comes, his bride must be unified. Otherwise, you may as well just delete Revelation 3.9 right out of the Word of God, along with many other passages. He has already promised. What we have to do is fill that confidence in our faith. Walk in confidence. How much confidence do you think it took Daniel to walk into the lion's den? Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to walk into the fiery furnace. Yeah. They had to have confidence. They had to have faith. Why? Because that's what it's required. There isn't a soul in here that hasn't felt in their hearts, I want to be used by God wherever He wants to use me. I want to be placed wherever God wants me to be placed. We all want that. But until you decide to walk in faith, that can't be yours. And this remnant he is bringing together all over the country, and for that matter, all over the globe, are those who have stepped forward and said, I just believe what you say, God. I believe you no matter what. And I'm going to close my portion with this. This thing's sticking to me. Because the Lord wanted me to declare this. I won't preach on it. I won't even explain it. But I will declare it. Verse 11. O Lord, Father, I beseech you in heaven as I stand on holy ground, I beseech you that you hear my prayer, that you see your remnant all over the world, and hear this prayer. We ask forgiveness, Father. We ask forgiveness where we have controlled or tried to control our own outcome. Tried to control our own lives by living principled lives. But not yielding to you those things that we kept hidden. Forgive us, Father. We have asked forgiveness for a nation. But I ask forgiveness for your bride. Your bride who has been scattered all over the world. But within your bride, 
is a remnant. A remnant of people who just want you. Just want you. Forgive us for our failures. Forgive us where we have taken our eyes off you. Forgive us where we have listened to the enemy and perhaps even felt the defeat that is not even there. Forgive us, Father. Forgive us for any barrier that has come between the remnant bride and you. Forgive us. And as David proclaimed, show, show us anything in the way. And we will ask forgiveness. And until you show us Jesus, cover us with your filter. That the Father may look on the remnant and see a passion for you. And a passion for him. Father, open your eyes to see and your ears to hear the desire of your remnant bride to be readied for your son. This is our desire. I declare it in Jesus' name. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And I declare in Jesus' name that I ask you give success to your servant today. And grant me mercy in the sight of your chosen one for this nation that your remnant might rise, that your will be done on earth as it has already been done in heaven. Father, as we close, I just ask that you get the communication out to all of your remnant, those who may feel like there's nothing going on around them, like nobody is connecting with them. I ask that you release your Holy Spirit to infuse hope. Because your process has already begun. Lines are being drawn. Your remnant is being brought together. And at sufficient time, your remnant will rise. We don't ask for this. 
because we know in heaven it is already done. We just ask for your kingdom to come here. We love you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.